0: This is Asia in Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of Asia in Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from our experts in Asia-Pacific on the issues that matter most to businesses. Hi, everyone. This is Angela Mancini, partner at Control Risks, and I lead the Asia-Pacific markets and partnerships team. In our last Asian Focus podcast, we spoke about digital risk and digital sovereignty issues for clients across Asia. Given exactly how much work we're doing in the technology related risk space right now, we want to stay with that theme of of digitization. But while last time we focused on how external developments in technology are impacting clients and the risks those pose to clients, today what we're going to talk about is how companies can best use technology to actually address their risks themselves, specifically how they can use data analytics to look around corners, see the risks within their own businesses, which is a great practice to have for de-risking their own businesses, but also is becoming really a must-have from a regulatory perspective as well, particularly in the United States right now.
1: So compliance officers, audit teams and risk teams need to embrace the use of data analytics, not just for a regulatory requirement, but to enable their team to do more with less. But to do that, they need to get over the hurdle that they can't do anything unless their data is perfect. There's a perpetual myth that when it comes to data analytics, garbage in, garbage out, and that's just simply not true.
0: That was Alana Rigby, partner and head of data analytics for Asia Pacific and EMEA at Control Risks. Alana, let me frame this up. So after the Department of Justice in the United States updated its guidelines for compliance in 2020 to include the use of data analytics, many companies have been thinking about how to integrate analytics into their compliance and audit programs. Some may think it's just an issue for the United States, but Asian regulators are currently less stringent in their guidance, of course, but there's a concern that Asian regulators will indeed follow suit. Um, So companies both inside and outside of Asia need to be prepared, particularly those who have operations currently that straddle the U.S. and Asia. Alana, you sit in a really interesting role because you straddle Asia Pacific and EMEA with your practice, and you're out all day, every day talking to clients who are multinationals operating in, in multiple jurisdictions. So can you tell us a little bit more, what are the requirements right now for data analytics for use in compliance, and how are companies dealing with it?
1: Sure. Um, so, yeah, as we said, you know, in, in June 2020, the Department of Justice reissued their update for compliance officers. And what they stated was is that compliance teams should be using data to understand compliance issues. They should be investigating that data and using it to help essentially guide where um, audit teams and investigations are looking. And so, this has kind of sent some ripples through the compliance and internal audit community because it was the first regulator to really state. That the use of data analytics was needed to be compliant. What we then saw was actually an upskilling of the teams within the Department of Justice who are investigating companies, and they really upskilled in hiring data scientists and, um, you know, embedding skills that would enable them to perform analytics on any company in which they wish to go and investigate. And so, this idea that, you know, if the regulator is going to have availability to these tools. And should a regulator turn up and, and sort of engage with you, they would be using data analytics to look into your business. And so what a lot of companies are feeling is that not only do they want to be compliant with regulation, but they also want to know what a regulator would see should they have the unfortunate myth of being you know, um, under investigation. And so why we saw this start in the US, it's kind of started to flow out across um, other regions, specifically in Asia, where... Initially, any com- um, company that had sort of a US footprint or dealings with US know that they need to also meet those higher guidelines. But also, it's starting to become acknowledged global best practice that we know that what ha- we know that when regulations come out from some of the bigger kind of more stringent regulators, that they do have the tendency to flow across other regions quite quickly. So a lot of our clients know that this regulation is coming. They know that in the next few years, they're going to be regulated and required, not just by the US, but by other regulators to be examining data as part of their compliance program. And so I guess the main theme that comes out of my conversations with clients is I know I have to do this. I know it's going to become regulated. I just don't really know where to start.
0: So that's fascinating because you're talking about not just... Really accelerating the use of digital tools, data analytics, obviously, within companies, but also within regulators, and potentially even having a situation where your regulator is better at it than you are, which has not always been the case through the years in different sectors. But I can imagine there's a lot of challenges companies face as they think about this. One would be, obviously, do they have the budget to really kind of bring on these tools? Another might be, do they have the culture to kind of embrace digital change, which I know you spent a lot of time working with companies on that issue. But can you talk us through, again, just based on your experience and your, your insights into spending so much time with clients across various sectors, what are the biggest challenges that you're witnessing with clients who are actually trying to make this technological adoption to use data analytics?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, starting the, starting the program is always the hardest part. Um, there's a lot of compliance people don't necessarily have a background in data analytics or data science and so they have to communicate with other internal stakeholders in their business who are maybe the IT team or the data administrators teams and those people lack the knowledge of compliance and, and the regulatory needs so you have two different people trying to have conversations where neither of them have a holistic view of actually what's going on and so a lot of the conversations I have are around you know we want to get started, but our data is really poor, and the people that are telling them that the data poor is typically the i t team or the business intelligence teams within the business who are examining the data in a very different way. and so the first hurdle or the biggest kind of i guess myth that people uh, are facing is that I've got poor data and therefore I can't start um. You can't start a data analytics program. Um, You know, there's the saying rubbish in, rubbish out. But actually, I think this is a huge misconception. Um, You don't need to have perfect data to run a data analytics program. I mean, of course, it would be much easier to run a data analytics program with great data. But there is so much that can be accomplished, especially from a compliance and risk perspective with with bad data. Um, And people shouldn't be waiting their data to be perfect before they start because the regulators aren't waiting for you to improve your data. They have started already.
0: Yeah. And I can imagine when you talk about improving data, that's probably also one of the lower things in the priority list (laughs) when you're facing, you know, market challenges and geopolitical risk and everything else. But can you, let's take a step back just briefly for listeners who may not be as um, uh, involved in this space. How do you distinguish between good and bad data? Isn't all data the same? No, not all data is created equal.
1: Uh, a lot of the issues that we see around data, when people are talking about bad data, what they really mean is data that has errors in it, data that um, you can't match properly, or data that somebody's tried tried to use already and it's not worked, and so they assume that the issues with the data. So there are a couple of kind of drivers behind this bad data. One of them is really poor input design at the systems where the data is created. Now. If you think about the evolution of data analytics and technology, it has evolved so fast, exponentially over the last few years. And so some of the systems that that our clients are using uh, may have been designed before that kind of real analytics um, program started to take place. And so they're not really geared to produce data in a structured format that would be uh, applicable to data analytics. so our clients are faced with this poor input um, situation so let's take a a typical erp system where you have all of your information about the third parties you pay in an organization Um, and you know from um from a compliance perspective knowing how those third parties are related to each other is really really important but a lot of systems weren't set up to capture things like address and telephone number in a consistent way and so there's all these different inconsistencies in the formatting of the data, which makes matching and consolidating data sets really, really difficult. Um, and so, you know, this, these programs aren't like these so programs aren't likely to be replaced because they're embedded in the business. Uh, but what they put out and the output of those programs aren't high enough quality to be using data analytics. The second thing is, is this: um, is multiple systems being used around businesses. So, again, a lot of businesses incorporated their systems before the era of data analytics. And so you might have these different systems that are set up completely differently and they don't talk to each other. You know, when people invented these systems, they didn't think about the fact, oh, one day you might want your ERP system to speak to your HR system because that wasn't a possibility at that point. And so we have this issue of all these different systems and data sitting across the business in these sort of silos. And it's quite difficult to join those silos if you don't really know what you're doing. And then the last bit is is really poor data collection or information collection. So what we see is that several of our clients collect data in Excel spreadsheets, for example, or via email. And when you've got data in that unstructured format, it's obviously really difficult to pull out. And so the data might sit in multiple inboxes across multiple people. They can access that from an information perspective. It's really, really hard to access from a a data perspective. And so these sorts of issues lead to this idea about poor data. Um, And it can lead to the idea that you can't use that data um, and that it wouldn't yield any results.
0: Okay, so can you talk through for us a situation, an example, where you've worked with a client, I assume there's many, that have come to you and said, I'd love to have data analytics, but our data is just too bad. There's no way we can actually implement this in our organization, and and how they got past that.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, you're right. This is a conversation I have with a lot of my clients. It's actually the thing that the majority of my clients say to me when we start having this conversation, oh, I can't do data analytics. My data is so bad. We have this one client. And the issue was that they were a very disparate business in terms of their business units. So they had different systems across different geographies, um, but they all reported up into sites a centralized function. And because that they were very disparate, they had these small um, finance systems that were different types of systems. So some of them were Oracle, some of them were SAP, and they needed to pull all the information together to be able to run effective analytics because even though the the systems were disparate, the way that the business units worked wasn't. There was lots of regional approaches and so they were completely convinced, I'm 100% convinced, that there would be no way that they could have a global regional view of what was happening and be able to use it from a compliance perspective because of this problem. And so we said to them, look, why don't we start with a pilot? Why don't we start with something small and show you how we can pull the information that we need from these disparate systems and put it together. And my team were able to use some machine learning techniques. Um, There's something called fuzzy matching, which is a really powerful machine learning technique that can help bring data together. And we were able to build them a single source of data that took information from each of those disparate systems, unified it in a way where you could compare and contrast it across different systems, And presented it as a single database that we could then run analytics on and the client was you know completely amazed at the output because they genuinely believed that this wasn't possible because they had been told so many times by people in their organization our data's bad our data's bad and their data wasn't perfect but if they applied the right techniques and they took the time to think about what data they wanted and how they could actually bring that together it was actually really achievable, and, and it only took us a short amount of time to, to be able to pull all that data together and give them something that was you know usable in an analytics program.
0: Okay, so I think most people listening would think about their own organizations and say, okay, I see that. I get that. That's probably <laughs> how a lot of companies work. You mentioned different systems that maybe aren't compatible and how data is collected in Excel and PDFs and emails and everything else. But So what does that tell us? Does that mean that imperfect data, which probably quite a lot of the data is imperfect, does it mean that it still can be used effectively?
1: Absolutely, it can absolutely be used effectively. We just need to pivot the way that we're thinking about it. So let me start by saying that data analytics also isn't all created equally. There are different types of data analytics that you can can, um, conduct. And when people think about data analytics, they think about sort of business reporting analytics. Um, So let me give you an example. Let's say that you are a company and you sell widgets. Um, Some of the analytics you might want to know is how many widgets did I sell this month? Um, How much revenue did I make? Um, What was my profit margin? And for that type of analytics, that's what we call absolute values. You are asking the data to provide you with an absolute value um, in that instance. And so if your data is poor, then that kind of analytics can be problematic because If there's data parts missing, you're not going to get to that absolute value. But when we think about the compliance and risk world, we're not actually trying to perform business um, reporting analytics or absolute value analytics. What we're actually looking for is analytics to help us understand what's happening in the business, specifically behaviors, um, interactions, connections, trends and patterns. And for that type of analytics, you don't actually need to be able to pull out the absolute value. so if there's holes in the data, there's still a lot that you can infer from the information that' are being provided without having to go and fill in all those gaps and gather that information. And so if you think about the kind of questions a compliance person might ask of their data, it might be something along the lines of you know do I have suspicious transactions or are there problematic areas within the business? This kind of information can be drawn from looking at not just what the data says, but how the data has been input, how two bits of data interact together. Does a vendor and an employee share the same piece of information? You know, has a purchase order been put through before the accounts payable information? These are patterns and trends that we're looking for. They're not the absolute values. And so I think when we're thinking about data analytics, we shouldn't be um, comparing the um, effectiveness of data analytics in that business management, business intelligence world with the type of analytics we would want to be doing in the compliance and risk world.
0: Okay, so Alana, that's really interesting because what you're talking about is not just the fact that the data itself is interesting to look at, but the digital footprint, so to speak, of how the data got entered, who's using it who's accessing it, with whom, how often, et cetera. So I know we've spoken before about having an expert look through that data, do that data analytics can actually yield a goldmine of information. Can you tell us a little bit more, how How does that work?
1: Absolutely, so there are two sides to running compliance and internal audit analytics. The first is you obviously need to have data science skills. You know, data can be really complex to handle. You need to know how to extract information out of the data, how to join data together, how to use machine learning to tag data in specific ways. There is a a science behind that aspect of using data. But where a lot of our clients trip up is actually leaning only on the data science and trying to extrapolate information from the data without incorporating the expert view. And now when you are... Asking questions of data, you need to make sure you're asking the right questions, and so you need to have an expert working hand in hand with the data scientist to make sure that you ask the right questions. The experts will know a lot about how issues can present themselves in a business, especially in in-house compliance team. They know how you can commit fraud. They know how people breach um, policies. They know what to go and look for. They just often don't have the skills to be able to extract that information themselves from the data and they need to lean on the data scientists. Um, And so this combination of expert-led programming of the algorithms and data science will yield exceptional results out of your data even if that data is of lower quality because we're not looking for the absolute value. What we are looking for is indicators that there is a problem in the business And these patterns and trends that we look, we can use red flag testing, scenario modeling. These are just some of the kind of expert led techniques that we can use to draw out those insights. I think one of the things that I like to tell my clients is that the data analytics is never going to give you the smoking gun. All it's going to do is help you with your very limited resources to um, be able to focus where there might be problems. The data is going to give you these hotspots. This doesn't look right. This transaction has suspicious red flags. You know, this business unit has a lot of um, compliance breaches. And then you send your compliance teams and your experts to go and look at those bits of information in a much more holistic approach to really understand what the problems are. And I think if you take that kind of approach of having your experts program the algorithms at the onset, the results that you will yield will be much more significant than if you lean on just data science techniques.
0: Yeah. OK, um, last question for you. This has been a really uh, interesting, I think, and thorough tour around what is data analytics, how do companies use it, some of the myths that you're trying to dispel. Um, when clients are thinking about how to use this in the most effective way, and I know you spend a lot of time saying to clients, you can start things with a pilot. It doesn't have to be a huge program. Let's just see what's in the realm of the possible, and then you can kind of go from there. But in sum, how can companies leverage the output to enhance business-related decisions? And if there's anything you can share with respect to cases that you've been working on or client trends that you're seeing, I think that would really be helpful to help bring to life why people would use this in the most effective way? What what can people get from it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think the biggest issue that my clients particularly say to me is I'm having to do so much more with so much less. Compliance teams are being burdened with you know, the regulatory environment, which we know is becoming much more stringent. We know that there is much more regulatory complexity than we've ever seen before. And compliance teams are... Being asked to, you know, to meet these needs with less resources than they've had before, so their budgets are being cut, but their responsibilities and the breadth of cover is being increased, and so they're looking to technology to help bridge that gap. How can I remain effective with a lower budget um, and lower resources without losing the quality of the work? And and, and analytics and technology really helps teams pivot away from this very reactive, almost um, responsive kind of compliance and and audit towards something that's much more strategic and much more proactive, uh, where the the very precious resources that these teams have can focus their attention on the outputs of an analytics program um, where they already know there's going to be problems. If you think back to internal audit five years ago the majority of internal audit teams would have their internal audit um calendar for the year and they would be you know i'm going to audit this practice then we'll audit this practice and and the, the practices themselves and the business units themselves would know i'll oh, get yeah, audits coming in in october i must get ready for audit in october but the conversations i've had with my clients specifically clients in asia where they have often Diverse businesses across multiple Asian countries. So they might have small presences in Vietnam, in Malaysia, in Indonesia, in Singapore, in Hong Kong. And typically the compliance team will cover such a, an array of different geographical locations. Rather than programmatically audit all of these different areas, what they're actually wanting to do is to be able to have an ongoing, continuous monitoring view of what's happening in those businesses and then wait to see what the outcome of that monitoring is and then decide where and when to audit the different um, the different business units. So we were working with a client recently who essentially had was trying to move from this very calendar-driven audit program to this proactive audit program. Uh, and they, they knew that there was problems in certain business units. They'd heard the whisperings. But by the time they turned up, to do their audits things always seemed to have sorted themselves out a bit or they couldn't quite get the information that they needed whereas as they started to pivot towards this much proactive much more proactive audit approach what they actually found was they were able to respond almost immediately to these sort of red flags that were being pushed up from the analytics program and they were able to demand the documentation much quicker and there was less time for I guess any of these issues to be resolved internally, they were able to really get an understanding of what was happening at that point in time. And what they said is that they felt like they were spending their resources on high risk, um, high probability issues, rather than the kind of needle in the haystack approach that the calendar driven audits gave them. And so for them, it really did allow them to do so much more, with so much less. Um, and it helped them change their relationship with the business where they actually became more advisory, more strategic, and not just a, a cost code that you know turned up every few years and audited your practice.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's great. I mean, clearly it sounds like um, based on this conversation today, I mean starting from the from the premise that the regulators, particularly in the US, are driving the need to have it, So to your earlier point, you can't not have it because your regulator probably does or will soon, and you need to know what they are going to know about you. But actually, what you've outlined for us here, I think quite thoroughly, is it's actually best practice, and especially in an era where uh, it's tougher in the market, it's always tougher to make a dollar now than it was a couple of years ago, given what's happening with the economy and geopolitics and the like. This actually helps you um, open the aperture when you're thinking about compliance and risk within your business to actually see more, do more with less um, in in a more proactive way. So that's great. Um, And certainly explains why I know your practice is so busy helping companies across a variety of sectors to try to grip this. So thank you, Alana, for this great discussion. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. That's all for today's Asian Focus. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to our podcast channel so that you receive all new episodes just as soon as they're released. Thank you so much. And we look forward to next time. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of Asia in Focus, be sure to subscribe and make sure to check out our other podcasts as well. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we're helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.